He's the Dow Dow guy. Yeah. I mean, it used to be called the Yin Yang. Now it's just called the Dow Dow logo. Yeah, well. Welcome to Game of Notes, a weekly podcast on the cosmos from independent validator teams. Hello and welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the Cosmos from independent validator teams. And this week we've got Mag and Barry from Skip Protocol with us. And we're going to talk about MEV. We're going to talk about what Skip Protocol is. And I'm going to, I guess, repeatedly expose my ignorance during the process. I imagine Shortsy already knows exactly what's going on here. Uh, (laughs) And it's going to look really clever. So we can have a nice contrast going on. I think we're on opposite sides of the screen as well. So it'd be easy for the viewers to spot who's clueless and who's not. Uh, I don't know if that means actually, especially because I think you're, you're above skip and uh, you're above the skip folks. So it, it really is that side of the screen. Although that does bundle usurper in with my cluelessness, which is definitely not the case. Um, <laughs> happy days. Uh, so do we want to do uh, a quick bit of news before we, we get on to talking about skip? What's the new? What's the news this week? I get so. The news I know about this week is Quicksilver Genesis is delayed. <laughs> um, Null has right. finally watched Heat. Oh, I want to hear about uh, that. Well, I mean, I suffered through Heat. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was three hours long, man. Come on, fucking hell! I don't have that type of time. We we've had wow. we've had we've had some discuss we've already had people on twitter asking if you had seen heat by this episode so we we are at this point a film podcast that that is just it took literally an entire day maybe even more than an entire day to watch it because i had to watch it in like 30 minute goes and like i don't know man i mean i feel like it might have been a great movie like why do you watch it in chunks why do you not just sit down because crack a beer man i there's stuff that I need to do. I can't just sit down for three hours and watch a movie. Why? <laughs> like, I, I, I get that it's hard, but like once a week, I can make time to watch a movie and I'm busy, right? But you just, you just put it on. Or you even, you can even get your laptop out and do a little wiggly while you, you know. Maybe it's that it was that fucking boring that I just couldn't concentrate on it. I knew that was coming. I knew that comment was coming. I am. So so where does this rank in our Game of Nodes movie reviews versus the only other movie we've actually talked about, which is Master and Commander? Oh, I I think Master and Commander is (sighs) better. No, I mean, look... I couldn't give it a good go. I just I couldn't get into it because I had other stuff on my mind. So I'll I'll try and watch it again. Maybe it'd be better the second time around. I'm I'm not I'm really not giving it the the go it deserves. I think. You guys watch right? Okay. Well, you know, I was just thinking there was very little drama per second this week in the cosmos, and Null is just just laid straight into Michael Mann's masterpiece. So I'm, I'm, I'm literally speechless. Look, I don't want to lose delegations because I'm hating on this movie so hard. So <laughs> please delegate I'll, I'll to give Heat it Lovers. Go. Like I feel like people really like it, but uh, I just I don't know. Maybe next week you could shit on the Shawshank Redemption or something else, or Casino Oof. or uh, Godfather or something. Yeah, that'd be that would be good. You should do that. I mean, I'll take a pot shot of the Godfather Two. The Godfather Two is, you know, everybody's like, "Oh, it's the only sequel that's better than the original." Like, fuck it is. It's it's shit compared <laughs> to the Godfather. That's a, the that's Godfather. God. That's a reasonable. That's a reasonable argument, right? That you can you can make a case for either yeah, one of those. Godfather Absolutely. is God. Brackets open. Father tier, yeah. right? Yeah. 
just a plus plus or s plus right right you know you'd airlift that shit straight back to mother base and then your science stats go up happy days big boss is happy all right i I just want to point out that we are already completely fucking derailed so let's uh (laughs) this was follow-up we had you had a yeah, shit but, on. I mean, that's this is the <laughs> problem. A shit on heat. And, yeah, and you had a shit this, on it. This is the problem. The, the follow up gets us so off track that by sixty minutes we still haven't talked about the thing that we've come okay, to talk about. Okay, okay, okay. Right, let's get fair, back on. fair point. Fair point. So let's, let's just quickly deal with on movie reviews. Um, so uh, <laughs> definitely up our wheelhouse. I, I mean, skip folks. Like, yeah, lads. Heat. Talk to us. What do you think of Heat? Definitely <laughs> haven't seen it. Oh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> I have seen Master okay. and Commander though. And if Heat is not as good as Master and Commander, that doesn't say much in its favor. But I don't know if I trust Null. But so that that's both a big Master and Commander guy. That both shit on Heat and Master and Commander in one comment. I kind of I could I can I can appreciate that comment. This is the Cosmos community here, Barry. That's right. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> so yeah, okay. Shots fired. Uh, that's a good start. <laughs> uh, we could, yeah. I mean, I think as you said, said, let's just we need to just go shit on a bunch of beloved film properties. Uh, get ourselves fully exiled from the cosmos on the basis of our, our film taste. And- right, guys, you will get cancelled around here for hating on Master and Commander. Like it took okay, weeks of arguing with that. Cancelled. So. <laughs> cancelled is strong. I appreciate that some people don't like it as much as me, but. It's I've a very good it, film. So I plead the fifth. Well, it's a very good <laughs> film. You should watch Master and Commander. Um, <laughs> whatever. Um, do you oh, you've, you've watched you've watched Nathan Barley now? No, right? I've watched Which some of Nathan Barley. It's pretty hard to stomach as well. Nah, it's good. I, I do enjoy okay. it. I don't know that one. And it's a nice little like twenty to twenty minutes. Yeah, it's like it's a, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a British TV show. So there's like four episodes, and they're like five minutes each, and then yeah. they cancelled it. You know what I mean? It's maybe like it's classic. Uh, it's a yeah, pretty good show, though. It's like distinctly like two thousands. I, I really, it is. I quite yeah, enjoy it. Really is. Yeah, it absolutely <laughs> is. We we do need a game of nodes cock domain. That's we, what we need. <laughs> that's yeah, that's CK. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh, right. Man. Okay. Let's. All right. <laughs> Fraid. Okay. Cool. So, only. Yeah. Ha ha ha. Very funny. So <laughs> the only, the only, the only kind of drama that we haven't created ourselves. In fact, in fact, it's not even really drama. It's basically just that Quicksilver's Genesis delayed. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that, but I think it kind of shows some maturity from the team to actually go. The shit isn't ready yet. We've got some audit stuff we want to do. Let's pause. They've not given a, a firm date as well, which I think is really sensible. They're just going to like take their time on that one. Um, so I, you know, I think I think give, it was kind of late when that kind of got called. Like they made the go no go, but I think once they did, they've handled it quite well. Well, I mean, I think that it's also worth mentioning that they made that statement even after their competitor Stride did like a a, lo- a shadow launch in order to beat them to the punch, right? Acknowledging yeah. that their competitor made it to it, and they still saw, hey. We're not quite to the point yet, so let's let's actually delay. Let's make this statement. Let's make it what, what we're happening. So I, I think it's very laudable. And my memory is shit, but isn't it? I think Stride was announced way after Quicksilver, right? I remember we've been talking about Quicksilver for a long time. Um, it seems like they're just moving extremely quick. Is that right? Oh yeah, yeah. They've been moving. They've been moving very quickly. I only heard about Stride six weeks ago, maybe. Whereas yeah. Quicksilver's been probably six months or more. Yeah. 
which I don't mean that as a talking down on Quicksilver at all. No. Just more of more of how well Stride has been making leaps and bounds. It's pretty impressive. All right. Stride, does Stride do, do some do, test nets or? Uh, sorry. Stride, 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 yeah, Stride. Do they do some test nets and stuff? Like, I assume you're validating because you validate a lot of chains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they were in testnet. They went to mainnet on Sunday. I want to say. Okay, yeah. this, this makes a lot more sense to me now because I was a little like <laughs> I sent I sent the Freya message last night or my last night, and I was like, "Oh, can you get the 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 guys like the the Twitter handles from the guys from some network that I like said was it Strike Stride something like that that I said." It was either so, strike or stride, and I was like, I, I don't know. I replied with something like, "That's not a network," or "That's that's a network, not a pro." Well, either way, I dissed you basically. So this, in the DMs, in the DMs, yeah. just diss null was like, you don't even know who our guests are. There's so many folks coming online, right? That I got a little bit confused, and that I thought that it was. That's why, um, you know, in the pre-show, I was like. So tell me about this uh, liquid staking. <laughs> and you're like, well, it's you're not like, what? <laughs> it's like, well, close, but no, that's completely not what these guys do. So uh, that's why, but, uh, yeah, I was like completely confused for like an entire day now. Um, so yeah. now it all makes sense. So the other one is gone live and it's stride. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, stride. Yeah, that's stride. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of networks coming online. So the I think a lot of people are rushing to to live as well at the moment. I don't know that why. Seems weird like a st- in a bear market, right? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking as well. In a bear market, this seems like a weird time whenever there's not a ton of hype. So people aren't going to just all jump in. So why is now the time to rush to market? I, I don't maybe, know. Maybe it's competition in like, you know, people just trying to be the first of a particular type of uh, network or something. That's true. I mean, we have a lot of liquid staking options coming out now. We've got... Uh, Stake Easy is here. We've got, uh, what is it, Larry's one, uh, which just launched on Mars? Juno. Uh, is Mars liquid staking as well? Uh, is that not part of the product suite? What about I think so. So, um, Mag and Barry, thank God you're not liquid staking because, like, ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... I think I said this to Frey before. I'm like, why do, why are people making chains that are liquid staking? Like, can't you just it's a smart contract, right? It was on Terra. Um, I guess it is in Ethereum. I, I I think there's a lot of reasons people love making chains though. Like if you can make something into a chain, go for it, I think is the concept. Yeah, but like my question is though, does it need to be a chain? Because there's a lot of there's a lot of resources that go into like, you know, running a chain in the long term. Like we're not talking about, oh, this is the fad that we're going to run for the next 20 minutes. It's like people expect that to be online now for like decades, the indefinite right. future. Like yeah. it's that's the expectation when you launch a chain. It's not five. That's that's part of the reason like why at King Nodes, we don't just jump on every chain because it's something that you're expected to shoulder the cost of now for like ever. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I don't go ahead. I was just going to say, like, we sort of had this conversation internally when, you know, everyone was asking us, are you making a chain? Are you making a chain? We still have validators reaching out to us being like, I want to validate on skip chain. We're like, we're not a chain. Um, we don't have a token or anything like that. And I think like it, it is, there is a tough part 
of building code and investing a lot of time and resources into it and thinking that it's going to be basically defensible if you don't have a chain because you know you have to open source it obviously um and then like what's to say that another chain can't just take that right and then apply it to their own chain you want to you want to have some method of capturing value which cosmos really is built to do with the whole app chain model you capture the value for a protocol in the form of your own native token i guess this is where um you know the the argument become stronger for you know ics i guess because it really is like limiting wasted resources by using um ics for like smaller chains like i guess i just i feel like not everybody needs a validator set you know what i mean like it's i think well i think i'll conclude we talked about this at quite some length didn't we and the the conclusion we came to was that it's very easy to get a validator set it's even actually quite easy to get a validator set it's pretty decent but the difficulty is basically market cap um, being exposed to a like an economic attack of that of that type, especially in a bear market, and that's like where ICS, but particularly ICS v two, um, has potentially like quite a lot of potential. But like the idea that the economic externality is captured is a bit. I don't know. I don't know if people care about it really. Can you explain the difference between ICS? V1 versus V2, like what? So V2 I, is... I don't know any difference here. Uh, my understanding is that the V2 uh, roadmap is for layering. So you can, as long as it's compatible, you can layer validator sets from more than one uh, zone that, that can run the, the software and the and the link, the, the what's it called, the, the light client thing. So you could, yeah, you can basically like uh, get subsets of the of the validator set for like uh, a stronger guarantee like so you're not just like for example like the hub is insanely centralized there's loads of power in um like exchange validators nobody wants well okay maybe some people do if i was running starting an app chain and literally that's a thing that potentially how will do there's no fucking way we want the big exchange validators validating if we were running that on ics right that's just right. They don't even vote. They don't do shit. They're not right. good validators. They're just big validators. So layering would allow you to take a subset of the validators that uh, I don't know what the selection method would be. I'm uh, I'm just kind of vaguely aware of the uh, this is the intention of the spec is my understanding. Um, so yeah, I can't, somebody smarter than me can probably jump it. Somebody will probably jump in in the comments and and correct where I've got that wrong. I also want to shout out, we got a comment from Ben Davis just saying that uh, on the app chain model for liquid staking, you can't make a smart contract for liquid staking Atom at the moment. So that's the other reason, you know, for app chains in the space is, you know, if you have uh, native tokens, the Cosmos SDK tokens, then uh, a liquid staking chain makes sense because you're using IBC to then do the hop and do a derivative token rather than doing it on your own chain via Cosmosm. Yeah, so actually I hadn't considered that some chains don't actually run Cosmosm. There you go. It's the default. Yeah, it's the default Cosmos stack now. Uh, yeah, bang it in there. So oh, Rama also says uh, he says layered. Oh, there you go. Yeah, he says so. V one is the entire hub set, and he also says that ICS V two allows the consumer chain to select validators. So yeah, it makes sense. And how does VP work in that situation? In both those situations, I assume the VP comes across with the same percentage of ownership and everything else associated with that, right? 
And so if I, I would I would assume that it would just be the aggregate of the selected validators, right? In what? In, in the same ratio that they have in terms of ownership? No, no, no. Like, well, wouldn't, wouldn't it just be, be the total of the selected validators and then they would each have their own percentage of that total? What percentage? You know, whatever their stake is, right? I don't know. I don't know either. Maybe, yeah, maybe so research let's say, that. <laughs> let, let's, I mean, I, I mean I, this is purely speculative, but I guess if you've got two chains, let's say Null and Schultz are on chain A, Usurpers on chain B, I do a validator set of the three of you. I would expect the total of your VP combined to be the sum of VP and then it's a percentage of that maybe. But then the thing is they're not equivalent tokens, are they? Because the tokenomics will be radically different on different chains. Like Stargaze has like what, 4 billion, it converges on 4 billion supply and Juno converges on 180 something million supply. So, so definitely, definitely going to have to do like some more research on that because- yeah. Like I'm not even sure whether you select the validators and then individually stake that um, the token of the, uh, you know, the guest chain, I guess you would say, to those validators. So maybe it works that way. But it is, are those validators running separate binaries for each of those chains that somehow hooks in and uses... Like how? Uh, hey, how do they let, control let's that? not write a spec. All right, we got uh, we got Skip here. <laughs> Talk about that's fair. Let's go back right. to heat. If somebody in the comments knows how this works, if you could just like write the whole thing as a massive essay in a YouTube comment, so that we can and we'll uh, follow it up we'll, next week. We'll post, <laughs> it up, we'll post it up on the screen. We'll read it out in full. Claim it's our idea. People <laughs> listening on the podcast later will just think we're really clever. And you'll have helped us out. Sure. No, we'll, cool. we'll definitely credit you. I think people know that we're like dumb shits in certain aspects. So. I don't yeah, think there's I any think hiding that back. Fucking yeah. secrets out, dude. <laughs> in certain certain aspects, so, secrets out, especially movie reviews out of Australia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a shit show, isn't it? Um, I mean, it's just that Australia makes better movies, so it's hard to stomach these other shit just, ones. Oh my goodness. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. We've all seen Glippily, mate. I mean, you haven't even watched murder. two hands yet. You haven't even watched two hands yet. Yeah. It's on my list to after yeah, to the fair, bottom of the list, but it's on the list. Yeah, yeah. You, no. you see how I suffer through the things on my list and you don't even bother. It's yeah, if I've already those, watched yeah. the only Australian film. I've already watched Gallipoli. We've just been over this. Yeah, I'll, you're suffering through all those US made movies. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh right. No, sorry, I'm, I'm gonna stop being mean. I like Australia. Um right. Let's let's kick off. I'm gonna completely expose my my ignorance. Um what is MEV? Hello, Skip Protocol. Thank you for coming on the show. You're yep. both looking very lovely. So what is, just, what just is MEV? We... I'm Hang an on. idiot and I don't understand DeFi. It's been well established on the show. Hang on. Yeah. Before, we, before we get into that, before we get into that, can I just establish who is Mag and who is Barry? I feel like I'm... Barry's got the t- stash. Uh, nope. No. Interesting. Oh, shit. That's, that's, <laughs> I will that's I don't think it's been a great one, but uh, we're we're going with it for a while. Uh, I'm Mag Barry, and so Mag Mag is short for something, right? Magnus. Mag is short for Magnus. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, all right, so you you are on the right sides for your uh, your name in the little Mag and Barry. There you go. Make it easy for you. Yeah, that was that was good. All right. So (laughs) so smooth. Yeah, I mean. So also my ignorance on Mev because um, I mean I, I asked before the show and then I told you to stop because you had a really good explanation and uh, I didn't want you to waste it. So 
Yeah. With no further ado, explain Mev. <laughs> Want to run it back, Barry? Um, I can. We usually explain it a little differently, so I can try my explanation, and then you can give sure. yours. So, MEV just it yeah. means minor extractable value, which is sort of a useless broad term, um, in my opinion. The way to think about it is as a validator in a proof of stake chain or a miner in a proof of work chain, you can, by including particular transactions or excluding others or putting transactions in particular places, especially places relative to other transactions, you can create a block that is more profitable or less profitable for the people transacting on the chain or more profitable or less profitable for you, the validator and your stakers. Um, and this comes mostly from DeFi and the fact that um, different transaction positioning in a block will have different economic consequences for transactions. So if I am a trader and I want to capture an arbitrage opportunity on block you know, N and I know it opened up at the end of block N minus one, I need to be first. I really want to be first. Because if I'm not first, somebody else could get it, the price could move, the opportunity could go away, um, or my transaction could revert. And so I'm willing to pay, potentially, if I could pay, a lot of money to get that position. And the second position is kind of useless to me, right? Um, it's like it's gone or it's probably gone. And so MEV just refers to kind of like, how we construct blocks to be profitable and exploit this fact that some people are willing to pay for particular positioning. Other people don't really care. You know, if it's a governance vote, like it doesn't matter where it is in the block to you. If you're just buying an NFT, you don't care. Um, and MEV is happening today, but I just want to stop there and see if that much made sense. That's like very, very basic. Barry, does, does, does block time have a, a, uh, impact on this because like in Ethereum or something else where I might have a 14, 15 second block time that there's a big gap right between when I want to execute versus when it happens and something like say or a new chains like Aptos you're talking 600 milliseconds 800 milliseconds a second point two does that issue go away or is it just it's high frequency trading so therefore this issue is always going to exist type of idea um, so as, as a, as a really good first question, um, and sorry, we're, we're how about detail, which but, one of you is mag and which one of you is Barry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Just dumb uh, it down. Uh, sorry. That. <laughs> sorry. Um, I, I can throw into this one. I've actually worked on the driver for Intel's networking devices where, um, I was part of a team that sped up one of their network drivers by something like a hundredth of a millisecond. And Intel was so excited about it that they threw like a an offsite party for it because it was that significant. So when we're talking six hundred milliseconds, that's that's basically an eternity. Yeah. For the HFT world, that really is eternity, right? So right, like right. um the people who are submitting and participating in MEV for the most part are highly sophisticated and they're becoming increasingly sophisticated too. Um they're coming from you know name brand HFT firms like Jane Street, et cetera. Um, so 300 milliseconds, 600 milliseconds, 14 seconds, it's all an eternity to them. I think that where it starts to become different on, let's say a chain that has a 300 millisecond block time versus 14 seconds is you start to whittle down the amount of sophistication you have to participate in those opportunities, but sure. they're, they're there nonetheless. It doesn't, it doesn't affect whether those opportunities exist or not. Yeah. Can I so ask a really stupid question? 
if you're actually that obsessed with making the most of those opportunities, surely the surely there are even more devious strategies. Like you could, for example, join the validator set, run a full node. You can modify the code such that you can basically always privilege your own. You know, if transactions submitted with this key, this public key, always privilege it. And then you could have, say, like a really low timeout, so you fail out other validator connections so that in the event that you are the proposer, you're basically just going to go, yeah, I'm done, fuck it, throw everybody else away as soon as I'm over yeah. the minimum threshold. So there are there are probably avenues for very sophisticated, which I guess we're not seeing yet because nobody yeah. is sophisticated enough to compile their own binary and run that as a validator and make sure it's it, it will make consensus with the other nodes, right? Well, so first of all, that's already happening. Um, so you don't have to worry about whether it's too sophisticated. In fact, it's not that, I mean, all validators out there, it's not that hard. Um, or it's, 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 you know, it's, it's probably less hard than becoming a highly advanced searcher who competes on millisecond timeframes. Um, you know, you could just like modify your mempool and, and have your own logic there. I mean, you run the risk in the Cosmos community of being detected. Um, mm -hmm. If not by right. anyone else, then by us. Um, and we will understand, and we have understood the, the validators that are doing this. I think long term, our answer to that is not like, oh, let's, you know, I don't know. Like you, you could try to solve it with governance and say, like, okay, these guys are doing, you know, front running. Um, but I think it, it can be tough to prove. And of course, if you're that devious validator, you're going to deny, deny, deny. I think what makes more sense for us is how do we create a system that's even more profitable for that validator than doing everything themselves. Um, and so that's that's what Skip does. So this is so we got a question in the comments from Rama saying, "What is good and what is bad MEV?" Which I think is the question you've just alighted upon, right? Just there, which is good MEV is incentivizing behavior in such a way that it's more profitable for them to do the thing that is not underhand, essentially a minor network attack. Right. versus i mean is it is it not just taking the underhanded thing and doing it publicly so that the profit can be shared more equitably really um i i'd say there are some some other differences so i guess first like let's just like talk about what good mev is and, and bad mev from a, just like a trading strategy perspective since that's usually the way we use it so one MEV strategy that you can imagine that is used a lot on Ethereum is sandwich attacking someone on a public DEX. You guys familiar with that? The idea is basically like, I'm a normal user. I want to do a normal swap on some DEX. I set my slipperage tolerance to be something and I submit my swap out into the mempool. Transaction is unconfirmed. Traders see that transaction sitting there and they say, oh, okay, I can actually bundle your transaction with one of mine, put mine in front to buy the token before you do, then force your purchase to exhaust your entire slipperage tolerance and then mm -hmm. sell immediately after you do. Basically like taking any profit you might've had and forcing you to pay a worse execution price, like the worst execution price you can pay. Because I can look at your transaction, I know exactly what that is. Um, and so that's a sandwich tech. We think of that as like bad MEV because it hurts user experience. Um, it gives the user worse execution. Another thing you could do is you could simpler strategy. You just front run someone. You see that somebody has a, uh, trade that is going to be profitable because you can simulate it in advance. You know, okay, this is going to make money. 
And so then you just put your transaction ahead of theirs and or you don't let their transaction execute if you're a validator or if mm -hmm. you're someone else who can control the ordering there. We or you copy another so, searcher to see them doing a strategy and you're like, I'm going to do it first, right? Um, right. That's like a thing we see. So we think of that as bad MEV as well. Um, there so are, before, we, yeah. before you get on to good MEV, um, so I just wanted to ask like um, in specifically in the cosmos and not just in general, like how is it possible in the cosmos to actually control the ordering of transactions? Do you have to be the proposer to be able to do it? Like, do you have to do it on a block that you hit as the proposer? Um, so for now, yes. Um, you you will, yeah, as, as Ramas said, uh, you see this on some DEX chains um, and it's really hard to prove that a, a validator is doing it. Um, but you see things that look very sandwichy or very front running uh, on certain validators more frequently than others. And um, that's because right now Cosmos has a first come first serve mem pool. So if you don't do any reordering yourself as the proposer, then the way it works is uh, whoever's transaction arrives at the validators mem pool first should be the one that gets in the block first. Uh, Cosmos is moving away from that though. Over time, you're going to see people upgrade to a Tendermint version that has priced gas ordering. So Tendermint will look at the fee and will look at the gas wanted for a transaction and reorder things so that the people who are willing to pay the most per unit gas get at the top of the mempool, top of the block. So then this stuff is going to get a lot more complicated. So, yeah, totally. Quick question. I wasn't aware of that change. Again, more for me. Why is that desirable? Yeah, that's. I was going to have the same question because it doesn't seems seem like, like a better method. That, that it seems, seems like, like it just opens the door to MEV. Yeah, it right? seems like a, a backward step in terms of integrity of the network, and it also seems like a backward step in terms of my understanding about how partially asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance, at a conceptual level, is kind of designed. Like the the whole point is the block. Well, the whole point is at least I thought generally speaking, the idea was you would have an unordered block. I mean, so it's bad in the in the way that it opens up the door to a lot of these like bad forms of MEV, and it's also bad in that it's going to look like Ethereum um, before they had flashbots, which was not the place you want it to be. Um, Ethereum, when it was just priority gas auctions, was an iterative bidding gas war, right? So every, all the searchers were there. They found massively profitable transactions. They would bid over each other in tons of failed bids to get to just some winner by the end of the block time. And then everyone else had to suffer because that pushed up the price of gas that filled up blocks. And you were basically participating in the same place where all of this war was taking place. What Flashbots did was it moved all of that out of the chain. It said, okay, let's have this war take place someplace else. So it doesn't have to gum up the primary mempool and just submit the winners. And to incentivize people to go over to that, they gave them a lot of really nice things, things that Skip also offers. Um, which we can get into. Um, but it doesn't, not having that doesn't remove MEV, right? So if you don't have priority gas auctions, okay, maybe you don't get sandwiching or like atomic sandwiching unless validators do it. But what you do get is potentially something even worse, which is what we already see, which is spam. Um, so because like I can only back run, because I can only go behind a transaction, then my incentive is, okay, how do I get as close to right behind the transaction as possible? 
The first option you have, which is not available to any to most people, is okay, like maybe I have a validator that works with me that promises that they give me execution, or I run a validator myself. But the second more likely option, because you don't have that, is you just spam the network as much as humanly possible with your transactions to every node, every validator, in hopes that it gets to the right place at the right time so that you're right behind that transaction. So if you guys ever look at, like, let's say, an Osmosis or an Evmos block, it's filled with this, right? And, and this was a huge problem also during Terra, during the DPEG, where there was a lot of MEB activity with anchor liquidations as Luna was plummeting, UST Luna arbitrage because it was meant to keep its peg. Um, and you saw basically users just spam the hell out of it, uh, or sorry, searchers spam the hell out of it to try to capture those opportunities. And that is arguably as bad, if not worse, than, than what would come around from priority mempools. So in the, <laughs> in the Terra case, uh, normal people who were trying to repay their anchor loans, they're like, oh shit, UST is depegging. Like, I'm going to get liquidated, would try to. And they couldn't get their transactions into the mempool because mempools were so full of searchers arbing UST as it fell and liquidating other anchor loans that people just got wiped out. The, T the TFL like couldn't get their transactions onto the chain. We were at a, a Terra jump hosted hacker house and some at the time and some pretty senior people from TFL who knew what we were working on came to us and were like, is there any way we could ship like this kind of prioritization right now, like we can't actually effectively, reliably access the network. Um, and so the way we think about it is like the way you design your mempool, even whether you have a mempool or not, doesn't really affect whether MEV exists. It just sort of affects like the incentives around the strategies people use for how to capture them. And what you want, at least what, what we think, uh, Cosmos is good for Cosmos is a market that um, creates strategies that don't harm user experience in the ways that spam can, for example, and does cause some of the profit or most of the profit of these opportunities to be redistributed to communities, to users, to protocols, to stakers and the validators. Um, and that's kind of what Skip tries to accomplish. So guys, it so the implementation of this, this is a, is this something that's embedded within the binaries that are coming from the individual chains? Is this something that runs alongside that? Like how, what's the implementation side of the house? For, for skipping. For skip. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, so it does run in the binaries. So if you think about it from the searcher perspective, right? So it's like, what, what do they want? Right. Um, and how can you give something that they want in a way that doesn't harm users? So what they want is bundling, right? They want the ability to say, okay, I want a specific execution order between my transaction and somebody else's. Skip doesn't allow for sandwiching and front running type bundles. That's off the table. Um, mm -hmm. So what you're left with is back running, which we consider to be basically fine. Um, and I think, you know, there, there's a strong so argument. You, so, you can still, so you can still do the same spam attacks that you can currently do essentially. Uh, no. So if you think about it, so like, let's, let's take the case of osmosis, um, right now, like back running spam is a huge problem there. So like all the searchers will see a transaction they want to back run. And because they don't have a way of guaranteeing that they'll be behind it, they'll just spam the network with skip. You have a way of guaranteeing that you'll be behind it because we'll bundle with your transaction with the one that you want to be behind. And then we'll put it at the top of the block. 
So you have a guaranteed way. And if anyone else spams, like that's just wasted gas for them. There's no reason to, you won't win. It's impossible. Um, one thing, sorry not to cut you off, just one thing you might be missing, Frey, is when Magnus is saying you bundle your transaction, you submit it, Skip runs off-chain infrastructure that sits between traders and validators. So when it comes time to propose a block, basically Skip sends the validator the winner of the auction. So we still get spammed, kind of, but we protect validators from that spam by eliminating the on-chain incentive for it. There's no reason for a trader then to go directly to the to the validator, as Magnus was saying, because somebody who's gone through Skip will already have won the opportunity. Yeah. So essentially, and, the validator is going to run a modified binary that prioritizes the Skip transactions in a particular order and then lets through regular transactions that say submitted via a, 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 an RPC. So isn't yeah. there a danger then on a high usage network that as a user you're going to experience block timeouts if you're not going through skip because you might have a lot of say arbitrage action because there's some serious price thing like osmosis is talking about doing a stable maybe they do a stable maybe in two years it depegs there's a lot of action all of the action is coming via skip because everybody is trying to um basically take advantage of that they're prepared to pay the gas to do so i am an average user i'm just submit my transaction to an rpc via a web wallet of some kind i want to make that uh you know this is obviously a very contrived example because the reality is even if you missed a block right you'd probably hit one shortly right. after but it is possible that you could fill up what the fuck is now doing <laughs> Um, is it possible that you basically, yeah, the, the, in a situation where there is very, very high demand for ordering transactions within blocks, you could end up with very few non-skip TXs landing in your block? Sure. Yeah. So there's a couple ways that we offer chains to solve this. Um, the easiest way is we just cap the size of the skip. But like, uh, so basically there's two separate mempools now. There's the regular mempool and then there's the sidecar mempool, um, which handles these bundles, right? We cap the size of that sidecar mempool to be, let's say, 30% of the total gas slash total bytes available in a block. So that, you know, you basically force there to be space. Um, I think that's one way of doing it. Um, and, and that's kind of also okay because it basically forces the part that is available to be more competitive. So, you know, maybe you get approximately the same amount of MEV captured anyway. So that's how we have it sort of out of the box. Um, I think the reality is, is like, you know, if, if, if you are in a situation where the block is totally full, right, which basically means the network, it's like if housing is full, right, and like you can't offer any more places, it kind of makes sense to basically implement some kind of ordering system based off of willingness to pay. Right. It's like, should you be in, should you be included in that case because you were first or because you spammed or should you be included because you're saying, no, I really want this to go through. I'm willing to pay extra to get it in. Um, that's like a question of like incentives that I think a, a block should. Yeah, it's quite a fundamental philosophical question, actually, when you get right. down to it, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And does that, does that change? I mean, that's osmosis, which is an L1 and you have these kind of structures. I know you guys are talking to Juno, too. So what do you have this idea of like? a ton of kind of smart contracts within that structure. How does the smart contract piece fit into that as well? Does, can you say every transaction for this contract has to go through skip or like, cause there might be something that's 
very specific in that type structure or how is there a, I don't know. I, don't, I think it's my uneducated question is how does, how does something like cosmobosm fit into this, into this need? Yeah. Um, so from Skip's perspective, Skip doesn't care about what's in your transaction or what's not really. Um, it's just, it's all to us. It looks the same way as it looks to Tendermint pretty much okay. just all bytes, right? So as long as you're submitting to skip something that can run on chain against the application state and mm -hmm. works in the application state machine, we don't care too much what's in it when we do some checks around making sure we don't have bad MEV, but Cosmwasm or transactions that just interact with ordinary model uh, modules, it doesn't really matter, at least on the, the technical side of it. Um, What's interesting is, is, you know, some chains who we've spoken to actually want to have a sort of tighter coupling between Skip and the logic of their application. So they mm -hmm. want to ensure that uh, actually there's a Skip bundle at the start of every block um, and that all the validators agree on it and have some new Skip signing, that kind of thing, um, which is not our default and it's not something we're, we're shipping to the big ecosystem chains like Juno and so forth. Um, but it's kind of an interesting idea. And on the smart contract side, I, I think like the most significant thing about smart contracts for MEV is it just opens up a lot of new opportunities and also new attack vectors. Um, smart contract authors need to think about, okay, what could happen if somebody is able to, to like interact with other smart contracts in a way that um, allows them to run multiple transactions against my contract in a particular chain or in a particular block, excuse me. Um, that's a, an attack vector that has been exploited a lot of times on Ethereum to do various, you know, flash loan governance attacks, which can be quite scary. Flash loans are coming to Cosmos, so that's, yeah. you know, something people need to think about. Um, but for the most part, we don't really care if it's the chain or the a smart contract. It, it's just about... Um, whether it's a transaction. It's just transactions and messages, no matter where they right. come from. Yeah. Right. So, all right. You, sorry, some, something you just mentioned there was, um, no, I, I just had a thought while, while yeah. you were um, towards the end of that. So something something you mentioned there was um, flash loans and governance. Um, and I just... I, I was wondering if that's actually possible in Cosmos as well, because um, you have to be the holder of your tokens at the end of the vote, right? In um, in Cosmos, just I, yeah. I just wanted to confirm if that's actually possible in Cosmos or not. I, I don't think it is, right? Governance flash flash loan attack. I think it depends how the smart contract is constructed. Um, so we're talking less about governance on, let's say like, you know, like general protocol, like osmosis governance. And we're talking more about like, let's say, so in a good example is Beanstalk, right? Which was exploited for some $650 million in a fraction of a second. And the way that that happened was they borrowed billion dollars or something like that. Uh, they used that to buy the native token. They voted on one of their own proposals within that protocol as a smart contract to send themselves the entire treasury, it got sent and then they repaid the loan and they just ended up with like some $650 million. Um, yeah, it was just as, as, yeah, so I guess that's kind of possible say in in the sense of um, 
like DowDow because right. the way DowDow works is that you have to be the you have to have the the tokens staked. Well, actually, it wouldn't work there because there's an unstaking period. So yeah, well, no, well, it's this custom voting module, um, null in DowDow version one. So it actually does depend on what the exact mechanism is. But yeah, you could attack a DAO and drain its treasury that way, depending yeah, on how its is, voting module works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sorry to interrupt, but like this is independent of MEV, right? So it's like currently in a transaction, you can bundle messages, right? So you could have a message that takes out a flash loan and a message that executes some governance um, and then a message that repays the flash loan. And that would be atomic. The simple way to fix that, and I hope Dao is doing something like this, is you basically require like a one block delay between sort of when, you know, the vote executes and like the beginning. Um, so you can't, you can't have like a multi, uh, a multi block flash loan. That's like an impossibility. Just, yeah, just noting that down for Jake. <laughs> in general, like most Cosmos, because you've had like governance as a core part of um, the app chain thesis from the beginning, like most smart contract authors and and um, most chain devs in Cosmos are like pretty sophisticated on these kinds of things. Um, and also we've seen so many attacks in Ethereum now that people are readily defending against that I think Cosmos is set up well to, to avoid them. But as Magnus said, it's le- that's less about like MEV in, in the sense of like skip bundling or someone else doing bundling and more about MEV in the sense of like, okay, how much profit can you make by either including a transaction or not including it? Mm-hmm. And are there crazy things you can do with that? If it can be exploited, it will be exploited is unfortunately, I think, the reality. I saw Jay come out with a, I think it was Tweet Today maybe from Say talking about um, not having validator commissions and really making it. I think this is, I'm also sure if you guys, I think you guys are working with them. I'm not sure if this is related to Skip or not, but they were talking about having a MEV structure within Say um, that would basically be a commission shared through the MEV commissions. That would come back to the validator set versus the actual commission structure kind of built within the tendermint. Is that is that through you guys? And you guys want to talk about that a little bit? Or what's the I just saw it like like literally like a half an hour before we started. So just curious on how that works. Yeah. Um we can't comment fully on okay. what's going yeah. um theoretically. But theoretically, uh I mean that's sort of part of our thesis, right? So yeah, our our like mission as skip is to make every chain, every blockchain, um, financially sustainable. And what we've seen over time is the different ways that have been approached, and this is early days, and we're experimenting different approaches with gas fees, with, you know, basically just minting tokens out of thin air, that's mm-hmm. not sustainable. Um, and, uh, it, and the gas fees sort of harm user experience. So what we've realized is, hold on a second, like, especially on Cosmos chains, but also true for larger L1s, there's this incredible opportunity for the protocol itself to capture its own MEV and to distribute it back to the stakers and you know, maybe even the core protocol team, liquidity providers, validators, everyone who is important for the actual chain to run um, in a way that is sustainable. Um, and so that's sort of become our guiding philosophy is like, okay, how can we take this force that's normally been used to capture you know, billions of dollars in profit um, in ways that are not oftentimes distasteful and build it in a way that you know makes everyone happy, including the people who are capturing it. 
And, um, you know, we, we've decided like, or what we have right now as an option is like the best way to do that. So for example, if there is a transaction on chain that let's say you're a whale and you buy a million Juno, right? Mm -hmm. A huge amount of Juno that's going to meaningfully tip the price. Let's say on osmosis and you're doing it there against all the other pools to the, to the point that there might be an arbitrage opportunity worth clearly worth like $200,000, right? So today what happens is everyone spams and one person wins and that person gets all of the money, the entire $200,000. The post skip or sort of how skip comes in is, is, there's an actual auction for that place. So someone says, hey, I want to bundle with this and I'm willing to pay $1,000. Someone says, well, that's a really you know, a lucrative opportunity. I'm willing to pay $10,000. And then you have a bid up until the auction's closed and block time's over. And then the person who paid the most, which we would hopefully expect to be around you know, close to the actual value of the arbitrage, maybe $108,000, mm-hmm. that would get straight to stakers um, and the validators. Uh, so, so that's sort of like how we imagine, um, distribution and, and chains to capture their protocol revenue in the future, uh, in a sustainable way. So stepping back, like today, when you have an APR and you have a, just a, like you said before, Mac, like you have a minting of, of rewards that's going out, there could be zero transactions in these blocks, but nevertheless, we're minting, right? Because, so we have a kind of a fixed APR structure and those types of things. I guess what I'm hearing is if the if the time doesn't matter, and that's really a dependence of time, right? Meaning like over a period of time, we have so many blocks that get minted, therefore there, this is how much rewards we get, and we have a validator structure with VP, and and it gets stuck out, right? And so therefore there's whatever. So whether or not the chain is successful or not, meaning is anybody actually using it, is anything actually happening, that minting occurs, APR happens, et cetera. I think what I'm hearing here is that structure depends on number one, the the transaction size, maybe in some situations, and also the number of transactions that go in there, regardless of the number of blocks that occur, right? So a blockchain that has more transactions would be more valuable to a validator. The, the blockchain that has less users and less transactions would be less valuable, less valuable to a validator or anybody else, right? Associated to that that's receiving MEV output. Is that is that right? Like so Meaning like I'm taking the commission based on the actual work performed, meaning the number of transactions, the size of those transactions, what people are willing to pay to be able to transaction in a specific spot versus just time. I think that's, that's, uh, that's a good way to think about it at a high level. The way I, I put it is um, MEV. So like if you just like back up um, block rewards, are designed as a way to solve the cold start problem that chains face, right? Where right. they need, they start with That's nothing, right. no activity, no validators, and they need to give tokens away for free, basically in the hope that eventually the chain will have valuable activity on it. And the idea is always, you know, the block rewards will go down and the fees, the transaction fees will go up such that it's still worth your time as a validator to be validating on the network. Yeah. Um, that's always sort of been the plan, right? And, and like where MEV comes in is if you just do something like make everybody pay the same fee, it's not going to work uh, just in general. Like you're not pricing your resources well. You should price right. your resources relative to what people are willing to pay for them so that the validators and the stakers and the chain is making as much money as possible there off those fees. So the way to think about MEV is like, it's just like, and and the skip auction is it's a, a way that we're making sure we're pricing block space well, 
we're pricing it such that it maximizes revenue for the chain. And that's where the financial sustainability stuff comes from. Like now it becomes possible to potentially have a chain that doesn't require block rewards in, you know, several years or whatever it may be, because we're actually like making sure that the traders who are using it are paying a lot for their Mm -hmm. sophisticated strategies and retail users don't have to pay as much as a result or anything. Yeah. It's kind of like, like Robinhood, you know, they have payment for order flow and all of these brokers do payment for order flow now. And that's a shitty system because it's like private and like, it's basically just Citadel that buys all the order flow. MEV skip auction is an alternative to that. It's like the future of that where we, we auction every single order. We do it in a public auditable manner. The results get committed on chain and the rebates of the auction go back to the community that actually creates them. Um, it's the same. It's the that. same desired output. the The way that we get there is obviously very different, right? But the same desired output in terms of that people are like there's a there's an auction to be able to be able to um, to be able to pay for that placement and be able to, to be able to build and market around that placement. The same thing that happens privately, except it's just not in the open, right? And here we, I think you're trying to be able to find something that allows that to be. Um, I mean, it's one of the one of the benefits of the blockchain. Right. So if I can then jump in and say, this is really interesting, obviously, and the idea that fees are non uh, like completely unsustainable at the end of most chains tokenomics is, I don't think, controversial to anybody that's really looked at the tail end of most chains tokenomics and gone, unless this token's a thousand dollars, that's not going to sustain. That's not going to sustain R five A two XLs. Let's put it that way. Um, so what's the time frame on sort of on skip having sort of something that is is sort of runnable on a main net but you're going to yeah. say like oh it's already live and then i'll look stupid again for like the 15th time this episode it's actually uh stride um no I'm joking um but uh <laughs> no so so our time frame um we have try to accelerate it as much as we can. Um, what we're building is very difficult. It's not like building a protocol or a smart contract or anything like that. We're, we're fundamentally altering consensus, which has, of course, huge implications, right? If you're a validator that works with us um, and we screw it up, right, it's, it has potentially bad consequences in the but, form. Well, of- but, this is, but this is pre-consensus, right? This is because this is just the pre, this is the, the uh, this is the creation of the block before the pre-commit, right? It is, but it, of course it involves the same code base, right? So we ship a modified right. version of Tendermint um, called Mev Tendermint, which, you know, since you're just in that code base is is, um, is highly sensitive. Right, um, okay. So yeah, if, if, there's, if, if there's something that changes within consensus that then has any problem with it, it's going to add additional attack vectors for the entire of your application. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's two parts to what we're building. The first thing is what we call Mev Tendermint, sort of a riff off of Mev Geth, which we took a lot of inspiration from, which is the Flashbots version of Geth that 85% of hash power uses, which allows for capture of MEV. Um, so that's one part, and that's pretty much finished. Um, the other part of it is the auction system. So this is something that happens off chain to sort of preserve privacy. Um, and I can sort of get into why and, and how we still maintain audits on it so that it's, you know, verifiable. Um, but that part of it is, is very complicated because it involves a tremendous amount of simulation. 
So one thing that we offer back to searchers is that, and for anyone who uses the Skip Sentinel, which is this auction system, is if your transaction would fail, we give you all your gas back. No gas is taken. So full gas refunds on any transaction. That's something that Cosmos doesn't have. Um, so basically, if you're, let's say if you're submitting in a very competitive auction and then you submit, you know, $20,000 worth of fees for something, but you just lose out to someone who paid, let's say $21,000, you don't want those fees getting burned. Um, so it's absolutely vital for us to basically be able to simulate and say, okay, you both have valid bundles ahead of time without consensus finishing, but this one won and sorry, you're, you didn't win, but here's all of your fees back. We didn't take anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then therefore right. so that's, that's, an, that's, that needs to be an incredibly high performance piece of code, right? Yes. It's, it's highly, it's highly distributed. Um, and it even has to work at the level of let's say, say, right. So 300 milliseconds to mm-hmm. run that option. Um, Barry and I both have backgrounds in the financial system. Barry worked at DE Shaw. I worked at Bridgewater for a brief period of time. Um, and you know, sort of, we, we understand like the requirements there. Uh, so in terms of like development, we are, I would say maybe a week or two away from actually being able to ship onto testnet for a couple different chains. Um, and then after that, probably depending on how that goes, it's probably going to be another two months, I would say, um, until like it can start going to mainnet. Um, some key things to note is we, Mev Tendermint is going to be fully open source. So basically we've already, you know, are in collaboration with Interchain and Informal in terms of like passing it by them as a first pair of eyes. But one thing we do with all the validators that work with us is we're going to do like massive code reviews where we all go through it and talk about like potential vectors. And we try to keep it extremely slim so that the changes are like graspable by someone with, I would say like a moderate level of programming experience. So you can understand like, okay, this is what it's doing. It's not affecting the main attack vectors. It works with all the Horcrux systems. It works with all the KMS systems. It works with all like the Sentry to validator systems. It doesn't have a direct port to a validator ever. Um, so it can't DOS it uh, and, and like make sure that everyone feels comfortable with it. And we want that part to be a community effort. And then the, the auction side of it, um, basically like uh, we, we can publish sort of how like the auction works, but Similar to how Flashbots is, we'll probably keep that closed source for a while um, to prevent sort of like copycats slapping a token on top of it. By the way, we don't have a token. Um, and uh, that's that's probably that's probably how we're going to go. But the, the auction itself doesn't have any way of communicating with validators except for going through this MEV tendermint. So as long as that's sound, most of like the scary attack vectors are gone. And what's the skip business model there? You guys, I see you're taking a percentage out of that gas fee that comes through those transactions? Yeah, so we've thought through this a little bit. Um, I mean, our basic idea right now is, I mean, we're obviously running expensive infrastructure. Um, Our basic idea is basically asking validators and stakers to share some portion of the additional revenue that we bring them. So that's not taking a percentage out of, you know, commission or out of like, what they would have earned otherwise. It's just of additional revenue. Um, so, you know, some small fee that basically we, over time will be totally unprofitable for us to have, but maybe over time as Cosmos grows, which we're very bullish on, um, will become something that can run a sustainable business. So so will you build in a way to make that easy? Like, um, 
will you build in a way that they can just like set a percentage to distribute to skip right. of their extra revenue that they're um, capturing? Yeah. So there's a couple different ways to do it. I mean, one, one way of doing it is modifying, like, let's say the fee distribution module, mm-hmm. um, where basically you say like, if this is came from skip, like, you know, toss them a couple pennies. Um, I think that, we are shying away from that in the short run just because it involves like large scale changes of Cosmos SDK, which tends to be more fluid mm-hmm. in terms of its changes at, you know, at the chain level. Um, so it involved like a lot more upgrades, et cetera. So what, how we have it now is basically that that fee is encoded into the transaction. So it's like when, if you want to be considered by the skip val- by the skip auction, um, you basically send like 5% of the total fee. Um, of, of the additional fee that you want to pay for prioritization to skip. And therefore it just gets like everything else gets treated normally. So what's the alpha on which networks are going to be first? So you say you're going to, to test net. Have you already picked which ones those are going to be? Presumably um, like the say test net. Yeah. So we're, we're starting with uh, a couple of chains that are not yet launched basically for security reasons so we're still actively working on the code we want to work with uh, a network that like wants to basically build skip in as a primitive and and is willing to iterate with us through their testnet very actively mm-hmm. so and i i can't name the chain or chains yet that that's on um but once that that's stable, a few more months go by. Hopefully, by the end of the year, we'll be on uh, mainnet for Terra, Juno, Evmos, uh, in addition to those other app chains. We um, are not deploying on the auction infrastructure on Osmosis, even though there's a lot of arbitrage activity there. We're working with an Osmosis in another format to help them capture their. Uh, arbitrage as protocol revenue. Yeah, which I think you can read on Sunny's Sunny's tweets. Um, basically, you know, they 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 are opting for a different solution, which we're which we're building, which is equally exciting, I would say, but doesn't use um, <laughs> time for rug. Uh, no rugs <laughs> left. Uh, it's using a different solution that I think is going to be equally beneficial to um, stakers, but basically involves on-chain arbitrage. This has been a good conversation. This is the most I've thought on a game of notes conversation in like six months. I guess we didn't really explain our new format at the start of this, did we, Frey? So I guess people yeah. probably think we just ended the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so oh. to all those, to, I, I, I'm not sure hey, if this will make to, it onto podcast. People still watching, don't leave. We're, we changed the format. <laughs> so now we actually yeah. like have an after show. So yeah. if you want yeah, to stick so, around for our general banter, hang yeah. around. <laughs> whether or not whether or not this will make it onto podcast players, I don't know. But certainly on YouTube, we're going to uh, yeah, we're going to stick around for a little bit longer, uh, and maybe just shoot the shit a bit more generally. Uh, before we do that, I did notice some questions come up in that last section, so I'm going to throw them your way, uh, <laughs> Magnus and Barry. Is it this one? Uh, okay. <laughs> 
says, I'm yeah, we've, we've, we've triggered Rama, so he's he's gone. Uh, R.I.P. Um, so uh, there are a couple of questions from Ben Davis. Uh, so if this works, will Chain suddenly appear less busy? Probably not. Good. No, I would what? think so, right? Because the idea would be that that you would have less spamming of transactions because they know that whoever's yeah, well it doesn't right. mean that the spammers actually. I feel like that, people are always find the same number of spam transactions. Well, but the same number of legitimate transactions, right? But yes. hopefully less. Yes. Legitimate, hopefully even more. Um, but less failed spam transactions, which don't right. help. Anyone. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> the other question was, how do you calculate the extra value that Skip has added? I, so, I assume the answer is complicated maths. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's um, for now, it's it's somewhat simple. So we know that the fee that the bun we can calculate the fee that the trader is paying us for their bundle. We just sum the transaction fees, right? Um, and we can also calculate uh, how much they would just have to pay to get the transaction to run on the network, and then we can see the difference there. Um, since mempools are first come first serve right now, there's no reason you'd pay more in that fee unless you were trying to win the skip auction. And then we use that difference as our baseline and we say, okay, are you, are you also paying us? Like, well, yeah, are we yeah. getting 5% of that? So we assume you pay the minimum to get it in. If you pay more than that because you want priority, that's the additional amount, right? Because you're actually yeah. paying for priority in that case. Once there's priority right. mempools, this gets a little bit more complicated. Um, because then it's like, maybe you are also bumping your fees for just like, cause you want to be at the top of the normal mempool. And then like, we have to think about the value that we add in a slightly different way where it's like the difference between the thing that is paying the least in the mempool and like what you're getting from skip. And so it gets a little, yeah. Higher. Right. Cause then, cause there'll be a situ would there be a situation where somebody could submit an order track? Well, a, a bid transaction to the tendermint mempool that exceeds the, the amount that you would bid to skip for that position, but then that transaction will be in the tranche of transactions that are not ordered by skip and so potentially behind transactions that have paid less. Yes, that's that's a really good point. So currently we have that tranche system because by definition, the normal transactions don't have fee prioritization. Therefore, they're most likely paying the minimum fee. Um, so anything that's paying above would be in skip if it's anywhere. But after there, there is sort of this like fee prioritization, then the validator will get to choose similar to Mev guests say, okay, I want to construct the most profitable. Like, let me see. Okay. First bundle from here looks good. Oh, and this actual regular transaction is super profitable. Let me take that. And then they'll construct the most optimal bundle from there. Right. So, so it, will, it will have the effect that fees essentially do for the for the average use user who's not trying to do an arbitrage opportunity fees as a very baseline level are likely to go up i think and in fact actually i've just noticed in the chat i think rama has said almost exactly the same thing uh this implies there's a min gas fee essentially on all vowels on the chain right there already is which, which there is currently <laughs> yeah well, we the there should be in Cosmos, but it's it's optional, right? It, yeah. It's optional. Sure. For these chain, for the chains that you were talking about here in these arbitrage opportunities, I understand why there should be, right? Yeah, well, I mean, like pr presumably um, Juno will be one of those chains, and I I know for a fact that there's people who don't run uh, fees on Juno mm -hmm. so that they can do the bullshit for free 
the uh, what is it? The restaking. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Auto compounding, yeah. you mean? Auto compounding. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. fucking stupid. So they they're risking <laughs> you know the security of the chain so that they can be more of a degen. Right. Yeah. Right. But uh, something, you, something you would never do, no, right? No, I've got fees. Fuck yeah, I pay them. No, but I mean, so, you would never risk your own business or the chain for the purposes of being a bigger DJ. Never. Self-introspection. Self like I'm just no thinking. scenarios. Am I doing that somehow? I don't think so. No. Well, I mean... Uh, I mean, minimum no. fees aren't necessary now because there isn't that much volume. Once there is a lot of volume and people are submitting for free, um, you know, like there's going to be a, and also like no one's abused it to a large degree. I mean, people have, but like not to the degree that every single block is full. You saw this once on osmosis. Remember when the guy was submitting that transaction for like, I don't know how many blocks in a row, but just totally filling it up. So you run that risk when you have zero fees of people having zero um, downside to basically spamming um, on a chain. So like as soon as things get competitive, fees will come back. Um, you know, whether or not it's, it's in a fair way, you know, like, like we're trying to implement it or in a way that's just like validators are just bumping up their fees. Yeah. I guess so, but, but the flip side of that is that the app chain model means that we might not get to that point for several years yet because of the way the app chain model works, right? Like more chains will probably rise and literally die than will hit that bottleneck of that scale of usage in cosmos which like if we're honest we're all bullish on cosmos but it's not as widely used as some other protocols right sure. yeah right, for sure yeah so so just on the fees and um network spam right so this has been a fundamental thing of what we've been talking about through the whole episode is fees and spam so there's an example the other day um on secret network where there was just, um, and Schultze might actually know uh, the contract that was being used, but someone was um, doing a lot of contract activity and it was completely jacking up the network. And so the reason that the way they ended up stopping that, I think in the end, is that they asked all of the validators to um, implement a fee if you don't have one and also smack it up quite high. Um, and I believe that stopped it, did it, Schultze? I think everyone might still have high fees. I'm seeing very low transaction volume on Secret at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it stopped it in the sense that it drained the bot's wallet. And so if they refilled it again, they would once again continue hammering it out. Yeah, so in, it became a situation where it was costing virtually nothing to do to very expensive to do. And now, actually, when I look across the... Um, the misses on the chain. Yeah, I mean, the, the chain's running a lot better right now, actually, with higher fees. I'm assuming there's still higher fees. Um, the validators appear to be missing a lot fewer blocks hmm. than is the norm. But um, anyway, I just thought... These transactions? Uh, sorry. Sorry, I just thought that would be an, an interesting tidbit on the um, spam and fees. Well, for secrets, a little unique as well in that the reason why that one was so especially bad was the arbitrage bot was built off of a smart contract rather than just setting normal transactions. And so it was just taking up an insane amount of computation space. Um, but my question is, what is this like? What is a transaction click for skip 
for it to be picked up and have a bid. Do you would someone have to submit a transaction directly to Skip, or would it just use a normal RPC? But in the memo, it says Skip offered you know 100 Osmo or whatever as as the fee. What what would that look like in in real terms? Yeah. So to participate in the auction, um, a trader or a normal user, say if they just want top of block execution or privacy or whatever it may be, they submit to an RPC endpoint that we expose. Um, and if it they want to be considered by the auction, then they include a uh, send token message in their uh, transaction that sends some amount of tokens to skip. And then the fee is treated as the auction or, or basically the gas price is treated as like the way that we order things. So it's like if you bump up your fee, but you you know you only use a constant amount of gas, that increases the price of gas, right? Because gas price is the fee divided by the total gas units. And then that's what's used to order them. Yeah. So the other the flip of that is, you know, if you send skip a lot of money, but you don't put your fee for the validator high enough, then you still won't win the auction. It doesn't matter to us. And we um, give it all back in that case. Yeah. So it's still the gas, it's the fee divided by the gas wanted, which decides, okay, you know, do you win the auction or not? Interesting. Okay. So regardless, it'll always have to be a bundle transaction. And that bundle is how, if it's tra- if an auction is not won, the fee just never goes through because that message, that send message never actually happens. Right. Yeah. We just yeah. disappear the transaction. That's oddly elegant. Yeah, and we, we thought about it a lot. Um, it seemed actually relatively elegant. <laughs> I'm glad we could have this after show to talk about the same stuff we were talking about before the end. Yeah. Show format, man. Yeah, I was going to ask a question unrelated to... Quickly. Barry wants to answer Rama's question. Where was it? What was it? Which one? Stop answering uh, questions. <laughs> oh, I just felt bad. He sent so many messages and he, he got ignored. Oh, it was the soy question. Um, so is it a centralization risk if not all validators have access to Skip? Um, so we like generally, like everybody can still submit transactions through the normal means, normal RPCs, whatever. So we're not eliminating any routes for getting transactions into the network. We're just introducing a new one, sort of like you have an express highway on a lot of American highways. Um, HOB lane. And and we're also like decentralizing, thank you. And we're also decentralizing um, the kinds of clients people are running. So there's gonna be some validators running Mev Tendermint. There are gonna be some who for many reasons don't wanna run Mev Tendermint, running normal Tendermint, which we think is good for network health as well. And we're never gonna like tell a validator, you can't use Skip un- like at the start of our relationship with them. If we notice and our community of traders notices that a validator is receiving bundles from Skip and then not actually putting them in the block and front running them with their own transactions, then we will police that validator and remove them from our network, but they're free to use some other provider, uh, some other auction provider as well. So we, we don't really view this as a centralization risk right now. I think the big research question for us is interesting is how do we make sure that we can expose the auction in certain ways to people that make it auditable, that allow the chain to know we're doing good revenue maximizing things without undermining like real-time trader privacy. So that's, that's an area of research, but we, we don't view it as centralizing. 
Yeah. And the other thing is like, it's not up to us if a validator joins skip, right? Like as a validator, you get to decide if you join skip or not. So, you know, if you basically implement, um, if you run Mev Tendermint, you're automatically basically able to receive things from skip. And, you know, if you basically add us as like a peer, we will do that, right? We'll, we will send you bundles. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's not like we police who joins and who doesn't. Um, unless it's in the case that like, and we would probably do this through governance. We say like, hey, this search, this this validator is clearly just taking advantage of Skip and the people submitting transactions through it for their own benefit and front running all of them and their own validator. Like, you know, is the community does the community want this or should we stop them from receiving that? So does that mean like those chains will actually produce two binaries? They'll they'll produce a Mev tenant version and a non a non Mev a regular tenement version? Is that what you're expecting like from say and other types of chains you're talking to? Yeah. So we expect like, so, so Mev tenement runs in conjunction with tenement. It doesn't break consensus at all mm-hmm. um, right. because it only has this like separate sort of bundling sidecar thing. Um, so if you're a validator on any chain and you want to run skip, all you do is when you compile your binary next, you just switch out the version of tenement and your go.mod for Mev tenement. And that's it. What will the feed distribution look like? Will it be that validators that run Mev Tendermint, they will receive like all, all share in their extra revenue received, or will it all be put into like the fee module? And so every every validator and every staker will gain the rewards um, as received by like the fees gotten by Skip. Right now it is it goes into the fee module. Um, it's just treated like any other transaction fee, um, which is something that could change, but that's sort of the V zero since it's simplest and feels most fair. Um, but we could do things differently. Yeah. I think like V two of skip is basically, we have more granular decisions about how either the validator or just the chain as a whole wants to split MEB rewards, maybe not even between just the validator and staker, but also other participants like IPC relayers or, um, you know, liquidity providers, um, all those different parties. So, you know, that could use a more customized fee module to do that. Okay. I'll start with my questions so that we can get back to the after party. (laughs) I love after party. I'm like, I'm just sending the phrase, the messages. I'm like, this isn't going to plan. You started it. <laughs> well, yeah, you, start, you literally, you literally started it. You literally, um, you hit the button. What, who, who? I hit who the button me? at the agreed time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, cool. uh, so, I want to. So, can we come back to okay. heat? No, go. You, you just. Yeah, I was just yeah. kind of curious. You guys touched on like uh, what your background is as engineers. Like what. Like, how did you get into this and how did you start like thinking about it? Yeah, um, we both have different answers for that, um, of course. Um, so for me, I got into crypto in 2016. Um, I was a high, I just graduated high school and I went out to San Francisco and I lived in the attic of an office. And um, at the time, uh, I got started working on this company called Scent, later rebranded Valuables as a co-founder. Um, they were a very early NFT marketplace um, before OpenSea. And uh, we used we used Ethereum at the time, which basically just come out, 
um, to basically like enable microtransactions. And then once it shifted to the NFT marketplace, they sort of had this moment of fame when, the, when they sold that Jack Dorsey tweet for like 2.8 million. Um, that was, I don't know if you guys saw it on the news at one point, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that was sort of my introduction to crypto. I had stayed interested um, with it through sort of throughout my years in college. I'd started a couple other businesses um, studying finance and then also computer science at University of Pennsylvania. And um, then worked a little bit at Bridgewater and then also at Atlassian. So um, I don't know, Noel, are you from Australia? It sounds like, yes. Um, so uh, Australia. Yeah, and it's like our only good company. <laughs> <laughs> I was a product manager there working on Jira and Confluence, our two favorite products. Um, and uh, yeah, after that, basically Barry and I stayed in touch for a long time as friends from college and saw this opportunity. We got really excited about MEV because it seemed to be um, something totally new in, in blockchain in that like you can't have this kind of crazy financial composability on let's say like NASDAQ or anything like that. And uh, we also saw like the, the, the downsides of it and that there was no good solution in the, in the ecosystem that we were most interested in, which was Cosmos. Um, so we went to this hacker house. Um, we built out a version of it there with, with Jump and Terra at the time. We won that hacker house. And then after that, we initially came to validators expecting them to tell us to fuck off. Um, speak my French. And uh, instead, the response was very different. It was like, we've been looking for this for a while. Um, you know, we know about this opportunity. We know that there's no way of capturing it. We know the downsides of it. Like, let's, let's, let's figure out something good. So like, so I, I guess, so both of you have some of a, a kind of low level background, I guess, then having like done some of the, uh, yeah like the aff the hft type stuff right i so i used to do machine learning research um to uh find like optimal bargaining strategy like on ebay and various other online contexts um okay i was gonna ask if there was some link to online auctions because obviously those <laughs> yeah. types of those types of like ad ad price bidding auctions are probably the most sophisticated auctions in the history of economics right uh yeah were super interesting and MEV auctions have a long, long way to come. So do those ones, honestly. Um, but I used to do machine learning research related to that. And then I spent some time at a hedge fund uh, that helping them basically start new businesses that took advantage of our trading expertise. So I was on this like venture studio team where we come up with ideas for new startups. And my job was like help build them for six to 12 months and then spin them out. And while I was there, Magnus and I started doing some MEV searching on the side in Ethereum, mostly like NFT harbing and sniping and weird shit like that. Um, and it was very com competitive. We made a, a good bit of money for a little bit and then just like got wiped out by the competition. Um, it just kept ratcheting up on Ethereum. And then eventually we came to Cosmos and we realized nobody had even built the infrastructure yet to allow people to compete. Uh, and Magnus was talking to someone at a happy hour and they were like, yeah, Cosmos still has first come first serve mempools. And we were like, what the hell? Like they're so, so far so, behind. Well, I was going to say on, on that, I'm, I'm a little bit unsure of the exact details, but one of the, isn't one of the value props of Penumbra that, because it's obviously everything is in code, it likes all, you know, um, private by default you can't front run because you don't know what's in the other transactions. Yeah. So Penumbra 
they they do a lot of pretty interesting things with MEV. Um, some of it is the encryption stuff, so you can't you can't front run people easily. But there's still MEV that exists there, right? It just again different dominant strategies. So instead of arbitrage opportunities being captured in the same block, it moves to the top of the next block. And Penumbra actually does some stuff to have validators try to capture them themselves. And their their team is super sophisticated on a lot of this stuff. Um, but again, MEV and chain design are like inexorably linked. And yeah. I, people shouldn't think of it as like, oh, we're going to design our chain to not have MEV. Just think of it as like, we're going to design our chain to have like MEV that benefits the user experience and benefits the financial stability of the chain as opposed to potentially harming those things. Yeah, we haven't seen a single method of like removing MEV as a question. Um, none of these methods like remove MEV. It's, it's not removable. Um, I think like even in the case where you like, you know, in the case of Penumbra, they do their own MEV and they sort of wrap up arbitrage. But even in that case, like these assets are multi-chain, right? So it's like you, you might wrap up all the arbitrages and get to a stable place within your chain on Penumbra and then maybe also Osmosis. But then at the end of that, Juno's mispriced, right? On, on both chains between the two. And so then you get to this question of, okay, now there's like cross-chain MEV. Now there's like some arbitrage opportunity there, which is actually part of our roadmap and and, and sort of our, our larger plan is, is to get into that too, which I think it gets really interesting there. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So um, just because just because my primary background is not, although I am a validator, my primary background is a developer. Uh, I'm kind of curious, again, like if you're working in, you're working in that kind of stuff what what languages are you working in go i'll go everything's okay. go yeah oh, no. <laughs> probably uh, oh so no i mean on chain i assumed go because of tendermint yeah. right but i mean like previously like what's your language background oh, the I hft see. stuff i'm guessing it's just like c right yeah um that rust is kind of taking over now so it's like getting super popular um I think because it's it's actually quite a bit faster than maybe people realize. Um, and but a lot of my machine learning stuff was just Python. This Go stuff is new for both of us, uh, but that's just like that's that's how it is. Uh, Cosmos yeah. is written Go for now. How do you do? You enjoy Go? I like. <laughs> I really like Go. Yeah. Um, yeah I do think you? Depends on what you like. Channels. Um, no, but I, I think Go's great. Um, it's it's got incredible support for like parallel computing and and you know like multi-threaded computing um, that works so well for a distributed system. Um, I think you know Rust is great too, and it, I think it takes over in the form of like type safety and stuff like that. I worked at Bridgewater, worked in Scala, which is like a very strongly typed version of Java, um, and so it reminds me a little bit of that. But um, yeah, Go. I feel like I feel like I'm it's like, it's got like C-level or close to C-level performance, but it has like Java-like readability, which maybe is not saying a lot, but. Yeah, I was going to say the classic Scala suit problem, which is like the the two Scala code bases I've ever worked on just like, oh, it's a bit OO over here. It's a bit functional over here. Nobody's really committed to understanding how they would design either. It works. And you're just like, like yeah as somebody who spent the majority of like before crypto working in functional like pure pure either pure functional or, or lisps i'm like at least rust it's like an ml 
family language like versus Scala I mean you're kind of just like yeah there's kind of like a way the language is telling you how to do this it like it it's it's trying to optimize in the same way that say Haskell did so it's like going yeah okay you be lazy use iterators blah 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 you'll get good performance just yeah just trust me and don't worry about how the borrow checker works like yeah. Just just add those ampersands when when <laughs> when Clippy tells you you're wrong and you need to Clippy. add some ampersands, just add that shit. Go make a coffee, deal with your, you know, move on with your day. Uh, uh the thing that is super crazy about uh working on on Tendermint though is like you really see how it was kind of like a POC that shipped years ago and now just powers billions of dollars in cosmos like there's all these you're like going through there's all these comments which is like to do like fix this like not sure why it works or like somebody look into this and it's just like oh there's nobody did there's loads of stuff like that in the sdk as well isn't there i mean like we had the problem with the invariant checks and you know a good go developer was able to solve that in like one night of concerted programming, right? Um, and that it was very paid out. It was so the invariant check fix. So uh, you know, just an update on that bounty paid, um, and I think it's now included in the SDK uh, fray. Um, but what was that like? Ten lines of code, maybe. No, it was more than that. It was like was it? it was it was like including tests and stuff, it was probably a couple hundred. Like good dollar value per line of code, given that Go is not very terse language. <laughs> yeah, and if um, this developer is looking for a job, um, please do let us know. <laughs> Apparently um, this guy's not interested in working. He's like, No, no, sir, I'm just here to fix this thing and I'll see you later. <laughs> I mean, if I made if I made like sixty thousand dollars in a night of work, I'd probably take the rest of the year off as well. Like, I don't think I would come and work on Juno. That's for sure. Like, ouch. Well, no, but no, you like, if, why? Like, if you if you can if you can do that and then go pick up some more bug bounties, why would you commit to working? Yeah, sure. Like on a more regular pattern with a team, right. especially yeah. when doing so might remove the bug bounties. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't want to work for you. That's white hair. Right? Yeah. I won't get paid. Yep. <laughs> I'm downstream. Yep. Yeah, that that, uh, that makes sense actually. Yeah, it's, it's back, as soon as you look at the the incentive mechanism, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I had not thought of that. <laughs> hey, um, Freight, do you actually use that keyboard for anything? Like, do you play the keyboard piano? Yeah, it's actually it's actually a printout. It's just a piece of paper laying there. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a mono synthesizer. Yes, I do use it. Like regularly, like it's front and center on your desk. Yeah, like as in <laughs> I was using it earlier today. Well, I mean, I don't just like go like, you know, just for fun. Like, do that but have to ask a question. Just it's yeah, like, like the outro of the of the podcast. Every key yeah, is, a, is a is a macro well. plugged um, into his computer. <laughs> well, no, because as we've established, I have I use um. I use an ergonomic keyboard that I built myself. Wow. Yeah. So, oh, I thought you mapped the ADA keys to your QWERTY keyboard. That's how you <laughs> no. just code it on the. That would be sense. No? I have a. Uh, hey, yep. so um, Ari, Ari keyboards. Um, for a, I, I did actually see something recently 
that had a different kind of keyboard that has a, a key for every finger, right? But the the keys are actually four-way switches and the letters are like four ways. So it's only got that amount. It doesn't have like a shitload of keys. It's only got like, you know, 10 or so keys. But they're all like you, you move them in different directions to make the letters, but you can move them all in the same like you can move all of the letters that you need in a word or most of them that you need in a word in the same at the same time and the software will just interpret that word. Wow. Seems yeah. borderline <laughs> worthless for writing software. That that sounds like a company. <laughs> yeah, I've seen I've seen some of those kind of keyboards, but they yeah, there's a reason that there's not been lots of additional development in the space because well, the, the dude was typing with it and it's incredibly fast to type with, but I don't know how he was like doing it with his brain. It could have just been bullshit.